0: During Advent this year, we have been looking at the Bible's teaching on the second coming of Christ. Jesus promised that one day he would return triumphantly to our earth. From 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, we discovered that this will be a great day. It will be the glorious arrival of the King of Kings after he has won the great battle victory over death. Then in 2 Peter 3, we discover that the second coming of Jesus will also be a day of great judgment and justice. On that day, sin and evil will be removed from our world for good. Indeed, the whole of creation will be put right as heaven and earth come together. The second coming of Jesus is the day that the whole cosmos is waiting for. But throughout this month we have also discovered that no one knows when this day will be. Jesus will come completely unannounced, like a thief in the night. Consequently, we must always be ready for it. Two weeks ago, here in Bermore, we read the parable of the ten virgins from the beginning of Matthew 25. In that parable, five wise girls were ready and prepared for the groom's arrival at a wedding. And as a result, they were welcomed into the feast. However, five unwise girls were not ready and so missed out. They were left excluded out in the dark and the cold. And the message of that parable was a simple one. When Jesus returns, those ready with faith will celebrate. But those without will be excluded. Fearsome consequences indeed. The parable urged us to take up faith in Christ. Yet after the service two weeks ago, someone came up and asked me a question. What does that faith look like? How do we know we have the faith that means we are ready for Jesus' arrival? I think you'll agree that is a very important question. Well as soon as Jesus finished telling the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25 he launched into another two that begin to answer that very question. We're going to look at one of them today and the other next week. In our parable today Jesus begins to describe what wise watchful faith looks like and you will see many connections to all that we have learned so far. In this parable, there is again a delay as we wait for the master to return. In this parable, there is again a judgment between good and bad responses. And in this parable, there are again serious consequences if we're not ready for the king's return. What this parable teaches us is that the true faith that Jesus will be looking for on his return is a faith that affects what we do every single day of our lives. Jesus wants us to live responsibly for him with all of our time and talent. So let us now turn to the parable, Matthew twenty-five, fourteen to 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable begins. Again, he'll be like a man going on a journey. As we have seen, Jesus is going away. No one knows when he'll be back. But whilst he is gone, he is investing responsibility in his servants. When he returns, he will check to see... What they have done with it. While he is away Jesus is expecting his servants to carry on his business affairs for him. He is expecting them to continue the work that he himself would otherwise have been doing. As we shall see that is really important. So to three servants he gives out three huge sums of money. One bag of gold was equal to 15 to 20 years wages for a servant. So these are extraordinary sums of money, far greater than these servants could ever have expected to be left with. In truth, this is a precious, undeserved privilege to be given this money, an act of generosity. The servants must have been stunned by the responsibility conferred upon them. Although the amount given is huge in all three cases, the master very specifically gives one servant five bags of gold, One servant, two bags of gold, and the other, one bag of gold. This is really important for understanding the parable. The kingdom of God is not a one-size-fits-all economy. All God's people are different, with different gifts, different abilities, different opportunities. God does not expect everyone to be the same. What he does expect, though, is that we don't waste time... (coughs) looking enviously at what others have or what others can do. Rather, we're to make the most of every opportunity that personally comes our way. We'll see this very clearly in the way he treats the three servants on his return. Anyway, back to the story. The first servant, given five bags of gold, is eager he goes straight off, takes risks, puts the money to work and comes back with 100% profit. He now has 10 bags of gold. The second servant, given two bags of gold, does exactly the same. He goes straight off, takes risks, puts the money to work, comes back also with a 100% profit. He now has four bags of gold. However, the third servant lacks the same courage or passion. He refuses to take any risks, refuses to put the money to work, and instead buries it in the ground. Then, after a long time, the master returns. Notice again how this parable teaches us that we do not know when that return will be. The parable assumes it's imminent, but not immediate. There is time to live beforehand, time to put God's privileged gifts to work responsibly But we don't know how long that time will last. How we use this time of waiting will be what we are held to account for on Christ's return. Anyway, when the master arrives, he immediately goes to settle the accounts to see what his servants have been doing in his absence. Suddenly it becomes explicit. The master expected his money to have been put to good use. The first servant comes in and reports that from the five bags of gold entrusted to him, he now has 10. The master is delighted. Well done, good and faithful servant, he exclaims. In other words, you've been faithful, responsible, reliable with what I gave you. As a result, this servant is given a double reward. First of all, he is bestowed with even more responsibility. The master says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Notice here that his reward for reliability is not to be set free from service or discharged from his responsibilities, but to be given more of them. We will never retire from discipleship. But secondly, along with the extra responsibility he gains, he also gets a radical change of status. He is invited to come and share his master's happiness. In the new age of the new heavens and the new earth, this servant enters into the authority of Jesus. He is to be looked upon exactly as the Father looks upon the Son, with divine pleasure. He will be given a share in Christ's work. He will begin to reign with him. If you put these two rewards of a new responsibility and new status together, you begin to get a glimmer of an insight into eternity eternity will not be a state of indolent pleasure where we lie around drinking cocktails by some heavenly pool oh no far better than that we will be actively participating in the purposes of god tending to his restored creation how god had always intended us to enjoying his pleasure as we do it eternity is not lazy leisure but joyful service of the king of kings joining in his reign over all that he has made What an incredible reward. What an incredible blessing for our life service. An eternity reigning with God, living with him and for him. I, for one, am really looking forward to it. Anyway, back to the story. Now, the second servant arrives and reports that his two bags of gold have now become four. Again, 100% deposit. And again, the master is delighted and his response is identical. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This identical response, despite the lesser amount, proves what we said earlier. God does not expect the same from all of us. He understands that our abilities and opportunities are different. He just expects us to take every opportunity that we can. But now the third servant arrives, and unlike the other two, he immediately begins to make excuses. Why was it that this servant went away and just buried the money in the ground? Was he lazy? Was he selfish? After all, this wasn't his money. He wasn't likely to see any of the benefit from trading with it, so why bother? Maybe he was frightened of what the master might say if he took the risk in trade and it failed. Or was it just that he did not know his master well enough to know what his will would be, to know what was expected of him? Maybe it was a bit of all four, who knows. But in truth, his words betray his real flaw. In verse 24, this third servant describes his master as a hard man who eagerly desired profit and growth. Well, if that was the case, why on earth did he bury the money in the ground? If his master desired profit, he must have known that burying it was going to be unacceptable. So in response, the master rightly turns this servant's own words against him. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, even minimal profit would have been better than nothing. we need to understand here that banking back then was not what it is today. Banks then would not have been regulated commercial firms. They would have been individual entrepreneurs, money lenders or money changers. All in all, individuals who would have been suspect at the best of times with questionable honesty and doubtful competence. In those circumstances, yes it was far safer to bury the money in the ground, but the master knew that. And still he expected the servant to take some risk and put the money to work. The lesson for our faith today is stark. Risk is at the heart of discipleship. Discipleship is not comfortable and easy. It's described by Jesus as carrying our cross. It is by definition risky. Playing it safe, hiding away, telling no one about Jesus achieves nothing. And it is this timidity and laziness that is being condemned here. Religion that is only concerned with not doing anything wrong or towing the line, hiding away behind closed doors, is being thoroughly condemned here. God wants us to take risks. Discipleship is risky. We have to put the wonderful gifts that God has bestowed upon us to work. We must stick our necks out and seize our opportunities. Now some people really struggle with this parable because they take the portrait of the master within it far too literally. The portrait the third servant paints of him is of a hard-nosed, unreasonable, grasping despot. That is not meant to be taken as a sober assessment of God's character. The parables that Jesus told often use surprising characters to illustrate God's activity. For example, we're told that the second coming will come unannounced like a thief in the night. That does not mean that Jesus has the moles of a robber. Clearly not. This parable is just the vehicle for the message. We can leave the vehicle behind, but the message is absolutely clear. God is not unreasonable or exploitative, but he does make exacting demands on his people. He will not be fobbed off by lame excuses. He has bestowed on all of us hugely privileged gifts, talents, and he expects us to use them at every opportunity. He expects us to carry on with his business, to try to do what Jesus would do at every opportunity. He expects us to take risks to grow the kingdom of God. This is the faith Christ will look for when he returns, this active, radical, Passionate faith is the only faith that will count. We see this once and for all in the way that this parable ends, for in many ways there is a surprising twist. The master, who according to the third servant's portrayal of him should have greedily kept the money for himself, does no such thing. Instead he takes the final servant's one bag of gold and he gives it to the one who already had ten. Yes, that servant is rewarded with even more responsibility in the kingdom of God. Eleven bags of gold for a servant. A servant! This is totally disproportionate, totally undeserved. God loves to bless the faithful. Blessings that multiply as you use them to bless others. The lazy servant is then thrown outside with all the apocalyptic language that we've seen used to represent the judgment that is coming to those unprepared for Christ's return. This man was found to be unready. He was unready because he'd been useless for the kingdom. He had not done the will of the Father. He simply had not had real faith. Because real faith is not the professing of a few doctrinal words or the one-time praying of a carefully scripted prayer. Real faith is a lifetime of faithful service. Following Jesus, using the gifts and talents we've been given, taking risks, carrying a cross, serving the kingdom of God. Real faith, as this parable shows, is responsibly doing now that which we shall do for all eternity. So let us ask the question of ourselves right now. What gifts has God given us? What talents and abilities do we have? What time and opportunities do we have to make a difference to those around us? Let us try and use them for the Lord, to prepare Isla for his coming, Starting the moment, we leave these doors today.